Uh, thank you, TJ, and thank you, choir, and thank you. That was, that's the way Easter Sunday should begin. And uh, it's very exciting and inspiring uh, because he is risen. I want to feel that, don't you? It doesn't depend on feeling it, but we want to feel that exhilaration. I don't know how you would package it. Um, they who rushed to the tomb and found it empty, they couldn't comprehend the whole thing as we can look back on it and embrace it and contain it in a sense. We can see the whole picture. We can study it. We can meditate on it, we can reflect upon it, and we can experience in a number of ways the resurrection by faith. I think we all want to experience that. What if I told you today is the first day of the rest of your life? The first time I ever heard that, it made me feel better. I just, I just thought, yeah. Yeah, from this point forward, it can all be different. It can all be new. That's a fresh start. The resurrection in our experience is a fresh start, a new life, a life that never ends. Art Rayner I follow him on Twitter, he follows me, and every day, well, every day I'm on, every day he tweets, Jesus is alive, and that changes everything about today. Jesus is alive, and that changes everything about today. Every time he tweets that, every time I reflect upon that, I experience something of the promise and of the realization of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus rose from the dead for a reason. He rose for us. Not just us within the sound of my voice, but for humanity. He rose for us. And when we say that, we personalize it. We take it personally. We accept it for ourselves. And we work out in our heart and our minds, what does the resurrection of Jesus Christ mean for me? Well, it means, of course, that he conquered death. And when we can comprehend death, and all of its iterations, not just its finality and not just its personal impact, but when we realize that he has conquered death, we begin to fathom the new life that, it, that is ours. And it, it isn't a new life that Jesus granted us in his resurrection that commences at our death. It's not something that we will experience one day. 
but it can be experienced today. This new life that Jesus offers us in the resurrection. And it should begin now if it hasn't begun before. Life that death cannot defeat. Flannery O'Connor, a favorite novelist, story writer, fiction writer, in a short story called A Good Man is Hard to Find, tells of a family of four packing for a road trip. And the dad's mother is going to go along, but she doesn't want to. And the story opens with her waving the front page of the newspaper in front of her son's face. Because on it, it reports the news that the misfit, a notorious killer, has escaped from prison in Florida. And that's where they're headed, to Florida. And she thinks it's a crazy idea to be on the road in Florida at a time like that. Well, she surrenders to go because she isn't going to stay home alone. And the road trip is a part of the story. But at one point, off-road, the car breaks down. And they're stranded with no one in sight until a car comes rumbling along. Three guys, smiling, willing to help. They look under the hood to fix the car. And we, the readers, learn that it's the misfit and a couple of buddies. Sadly, at the end of the story, the old lady stands alone facing the misfit. She appeals to his humanity Every hardened criminal, every killer was once a baby a mother adored. But he complains in reaction to an unfair life, a life of broken promises, a life of punishment that he felt he believed did not fit the crime. The old lady said, if you'd pray, Jesus would help you. Jesus? It was the same case with him. The same case with him as with me. Except he hadn't committed any crime. I call myself the misfit, he went on because I can't make what all I'd done wrong fit what all I'd gone through in my punishment. Jesus was the only one that ever raised the dead, he continued, and he shouldn't have done it. He'd thrown everything off balance. 
if he did what he said, then it's nothing for you to do but throw away everything and follow him. But sadly, the misfit couldn't believe Jesus did what he said. And the misfit isn't alone. Lots of people can't believe he did what he said. There was a man that was named Saul. He couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe Jesus did what he said. And he didn't only hate Jesus, but he hated all the people who believed Jesus did what he said. In fact, he joined a group of fellows who stoned to death a follower of Jesus whose name was Stephen. In fact, this Saul imprisoned followers of Jesus. He wanted to murder them. And he later admitted, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man, quote, in quote. He set out for the region of Damascus. It was a short trip of sorts. He got letters from the high priest giving him the authority to arrest followers of Jesus that he found in gatherings of other Jews. And it was on his way to Damascus that he was struck by a bright light and an experience with the risen Christ. And it changed everything for Saul. Jesus risen from the dead changed everything for him, even his name. In his letters, Paul likened seeing the risen Christ to God's creation of the world when God said, let there be light. For, he said, in Christ, God has flooded our hearts with the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Paul's Easter experience is woven into all of his letters, but his very first letter, his letter to the Galatians, written just a few, few years after his conversion, in that first writing from Paul, we have these words in the second chapter. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I'd like to read it to you. These are his words. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in other words, the life I now humanly live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me.
and gave himself for me. That's very, very personal. And yet, Paul would tell us that's not just his experience, but every follower's experience who commits his or her life to Jesus Christ. Paul's life was dramatically changed. He lives. He who loved me and gave himself for me, he lives in me. That is an astonishing thing to write. That's an astonishing thing to say. But it can be something that you say that is real for you. That life begins with Jesus Christ. And death has no power against that life when he lives his life in us. Why love? It's the power of the resurrection. In Galatians chapter 1, the very first verse, this is the opening of the letter that we just quoted. And in the very beginning of that letter, this is what Paul writes. He says, I am an apostle, not of human origin or authority, but of Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. That's the one direct reference to the resurrection in this letter. And that's because this letter is focused on the failure of religion. The failure of religion and its legalities when they're compared to the new life that Paul experienced in Jesus Christ. Paul had dedicated his life to that religion that had fueled some of his anger toward Jesus and his followers. But when he experienced the resurrected Christ, he realized all of the legalities to which he was committed and devoted were as nothing and less than nothing. You see, our life is a life of love, not laws. A life of living that love that triumphed over the law, over death. And when I say love is the power of the resurrection, we may think, why, how is that? Because how is love a power like that which conquers death? I mean, when we think of power to create out of nothing or to animate what has no life, that's a power so sheer and raw that it is atomic in caliber. But raw power is heartless. Treacherous. Destructive. You've heard power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. There is no power without purpose or intent or direction or cause. 
the power of God is the same as God, who is love, who is benevolent, who is redemptive in his purpose and in his control. This resurrection didn't just happen according to raw power. It happened for a purpose. And when I say the resurrection is for you and for me and for the world, it's because God has in his sights each and every person for they are the object of his love and his redemptive power. And that plan is alive and will succeed because of one thing, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the power of the resurrection. It was out of love. It was by love. It was for love. Love is not a cherry on the dessert. Love is not a footnote to the point. Love is everything. If God is who he is, and the Apostle John, for one, can say he is love, or without love we cannot please him, We're missing it. In this series, Why Love, we have had answers from across the New Testament, from Jesus, from John, from Peter, from James, from Jude, from the writer of Hebrews, from Paul, and even here now in this personal testimony. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ in other words, his death counts for me too. I am totally identified with him in a way that my being is immersed in what he has done. I fully identify with him. But not just his death, the life, the new life, not just coming back to life, not just coming back to the way things were, but a whole new way of life, a greater life, a new humanity. You heard Jared say it when he was praying for us, and we were praying with him. And that is right out of our New Testament. This isn't just some super additum. This isn't like you know, pouring some gas additive in your car to make it run a little smoother. This is new life. And the promise of this new life and the reality of this new life is in the Holy Spirit, which when Jesus was raised and ascended and glorified, then the Spirit, the promise of the Father, was his to pour out on his people on the church. It's the distinctive characteristic of his people. You are not a people of God. You are not a follower of Jesus Christ. If you are not a child of God because the Holy Spirit indwells you. And it is that spirit which is the erebon, 
which is a Greek word, which in modern Greek means a wedding pledge. So a wedding ring is an atabone. But when Paul used it, it was just that pledge, that guarantee, that certification that the Spirit was the down payment on something that would surely be completed, and that is the resurrection of the believer. And that new life begins in us. So the fruit of the Spirit, as Jared also mentioned in the prayer, love, joy, peace, patience, those are the qualities of God's new life in us. His new life in us. And that sets up the battle that Paul often talks about in his letters when he talks about the war, the headbutting between the flesh and the spirit. That isn't your human spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. That's God in your life working for the wonderful things that He wants to produce in you and me. But our flesh which represents our stubborn, human, selfish nature, just wants to fight that. We want to be God of our lives. And that's a battle that we face each and every day. And each and every day, because of the resurrection, this can be the first day of the rest of your life. Paul echoes this in his Easter life and in his letters. Love is the power of God, and it is the power, the resurrection, the new life, the new humanity. It's characteristic, it's the qualities of that new life. You couldn't point to a carcass and tell me he's alive. I can see the characteristics of death. I can also see the characteristics of life when there are vibrant, and a power in a person's life. That is the new humanity. That's the resurrection we can experience. I want to feel that. And you do too. And do you know how God designed it to be felt? When we gather in his name and in his power. There is no greater collection and joining and amassing of the truth of the resurrection than when people walking in the Spirit walk together, following the same Spirit, empowered, alive in the same Spirit. So Paul says right here in chapter what we call chapter 2 of his letter, verse 20, he says, because of Christ's love, I live. That's what he's saying. Because of Christ's love, I live. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. He lives in me. In other words, today is the first day of the rest of your life. Ever try to take off your coat while holding a purse? It's pretty funny to watch, you know. If you, 
you, you decide to take off the purse, but you're not going to let go of that purse, so of course the purse won't go through the sleeve of your coat, and you look really foolish holding on to that purse while somebody's trying to help you off with your coat. But a lot of us live our lives that way. We have clutches and purses, things we hold. Paul says, take that off and put on this more beautiful existence, this more beautiful reality of Christ-like humanity, this new humanity. We have a founder in Jesus Christ. He's our exemplar. He's our model, our prototype. And he gives us his spirit to indwell and empower in us and give us a little taste of the resurrection and the new life and the fruit of that life. You have a bit of the resurrection in you if Jesus lives in you, if his spirit indwells you. And yet we live half dead most of the time. And that's what gets Paul so upset. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he didn't get upset. It gets me upset for him when he has to tell us so much about living by the Spirit instead of by the flesh. To let that new life, the Lord who gave us this new life, who died for us, I mean, who could we trust more with letting go of our purse and clothing us in something finer? What's Paul mean when he says, it's no longer I who live? Where did he go? Did he disappear? I'd like you to turn in your Bible to Romans or swipe in your phone. Romans chapter 6. I just want to read seven verses from Romans chapter 6, verse 3 to verse 10. Listen as if your life depended on it. All of you who have been baptized, listen to what you did. If we have been united, excuse me, verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him, and it's such an interesting word, this word united, it really is a picture of like when roots get bound, they're just grown all together. Sometimes they, they or like a graft of a tree and it becomes a, a part of that stock, that's what he's talking about. It's a horticultural term, grown together, united. We are bound together. He says, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. 
For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. That's the truth, that's the reality that is ours in Christ. The rest of the job is realizing that in our experience by faith. When we trust him, when we realize sin has no hold over us. Every follower of Jesus is a resurrection event. Each day is the first day of the rest of your life. Pastors aren't born. I was a misfit. I think pastors are born again just like you. Out of the depths of our darkness and lostness. We see the light and we start following it and living for Him and giving up our lives to help others. But we're not born in a special place or under special custody. We're born just like everyone else. Selfish, self-centered, living for ourselves, seeking all the worldly things there are to seek. And when we finally fall flat on our faces and realize how empty it all is, God in His grace shines the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ who is risen from the dead. Just like Paul, we live one day at a time knowing He lives in us. He who loved us and gave Himself for us. Because of Christ's love, I live, and Paul says, I love. In chapter 2, verse 20, the verse we've been looking at, he stresses that it is because he so loved me. We all have to live in the strength of Jesus' love. But what's interesting is a little later in his letter in chapter 5, verse 6, he says, the only thing that matters, and he says, it doesn't matter whether you're circumcised as a Jew or you're uncircumcised as a Gentile. In fact, he says, if you're circumcised, that doesn't even matter. And if you're uncircumcised, that doesn't even matter. Paul, who grew up with circumcision, the mark of the covenant of God's people 
that God initiated with Abraham himself. And now Paul says, it doesn't matter. It doesn't count. The only thing that counts is faith working itself out in love. That's shocking. Because of Christ's love, I live. And he says, I love. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 says, If the Spirit of the one God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will also make your mortal bodies alive through his Spirit who lives in you. So what are we going to do on the first day of the rest of our lives? Do you know how I start my day? I'll bet you do. Because you do the same thing. You get dressed. Right? You don't go out without clothes, do you? So let's begin each day by getting dressed in the power of God, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ indwelling us through His Spirit who gives life to our mortal bodies. There was a movie a few years back. It was kind of corny, I thought. It's called The Invisible Man. And uh, you can't see him unless he puts on clothes. <laughs> yeah, if he puts on a jacket and pants, you can see him walking around in his jacket and pants. If he puts on shoes, you can see him in his shoes. But he's invisible. We put on Christ that he might become visible in us. And not only because of Christ's love does Paul say, I live and I love, but he says, I serve. In verses 13 and 14 and 16 of chapter 5 and verses 22 through 23, he says, this love is for one purpose, to serve one another. You were called to freedom, he says, in verse 13 and 14. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I say, he says in verse 16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What are the desires of the flesh? Selfishness. What gets in the way of service? Selfishness. If we're selfish, we're not going to think of serving or caring or thinking about or holding a value. Anybody else but ourselves. It is the Spirit that we follow that in His power gets our eyes off of ourselves and on to Christ and His great love. We've let go of the past if we're walking with Christ. If you haven't let go of the past, 
If you're burdened, if your purse is a clutch of guilt, a clutch of something broken that you can't fix, or baggage that you can't dump, in Christ and in His power we can let go and take the hand of our Savior. And that's the interesting thing. You can't really take His hand unless you let go of what you've got in your hand. The misfit, the last part of the story, the grandmother, the old lady, at one point in this intense conversation, she said, maybe he didn't raise the dead. She mumbled, not knowing what she was saying and feeling so dizzy that she sank down in the ditch with her legs twisted under her. And the misfit said, I wasn't there, so I can't say he didn't. I wished I had been there, he said, hitting the ground with his fist. I ain't, it ain't right I wasn't there. Because if I had been there, I should have known. Listen, lady, he said in a high voice, if I had been there, I would have known, and I wouldn't be like I am now. That's the difference living by faith makes. Change life. Change life. He lives. He is risen indeed. Will you stand with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, every step, every moment, every present of every day, is a day that we can live in your power. Open our hearts and minds to this. Strengthen our practice of trusting you and doing so in and through the power of your love. We praise you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We praise you for the work of your Holy Spirit. We praise you, Father, and it is in Jesus' matchless name we say we love you. And all God's people said, Amen.